and welcome to Sound of the Moment. I'm your host, Pat Cleaver, and this is the bi-weekly show featuring conversations with musicians about jazz, music, and more. New episodes are released every second Monday, and please do go and subscribe to the show in iTunes or Podbean Stitcher, wherever you like to get your podcasts. Uh, that way you don't have to actually keep up to date on my release schedule and you will just get new episodes when they are released. To get more information and uh, links that are discussed during the show, you can go to sandthemoment.com. And if you like what you hear and you feel like supporting the show, there's a few ways of doing that. Um, first of all, you can just spread the word about the show. If you know anybody who might want to listen, just let them know about it. That is already incredibly helpful. And you can also leave a favorable review or rating wherever it is that you like to listen. So, for example, in the iTunes store, it's very easy to leave a review and a star rating that will hopefully make the algorithms work in my favor and expose more people to the show. And finally, as of uh, a couple of weeks ago, I launched a Patreon campaign for this show at patreon.com slash sound of the moment. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N for those of you that are not familiar with that service. And um, that is a donations platform where you can basically donate to the show and to me uh, any amount of money you would like on a monthly basis to uh, help me with all the costs of running the show. So um, be it web hosting or new equipment or um, all that kind of stuff. Right now, this is a passion project that I spend my own money on. And if you happen to have a couple of bucks to spare every month or even just one month, that would already be really great. And I would be incredibly thankful if you would consider supporting it. So that is patreon.com slash sound of the moment. There's also a link to that on the website, of course. And finally, all the social media links. Uh, I am at Pat Cleaver on Twitter and sound of the moment on Facebook. So if you want to reach me, you can do that there quite easily. This is episode number 16 for the 21st of May, 2018. My guest is the flautist Mark Alban Lotz. He released a new record in duo a little while ago with the percussionist Alan Purves. And the record is called Food Foragers. And here is a track from that album. This one is called Abu in the Sky. Thank you. 
That was music from Mark Lotz, my guest today. Uh, Mark, thanks for coming on the show. Good day, Pat. Very <laughs> happy to be here. Cool, yeah. Um, so there's a million things we could talk about, obviously. I mean, I think there's like 50 records or something in your discography, so um, I don't expect us to go back that far necessarily, but maybe we can start with um, a bit of an introduction if you can tell folks a bit about who you are and what you do and what you've done and... It's very vague, maybe. Okay. No, it's not vague. It's very clear. I'm a very handsome uh, man in the, his best age. So <laughs> in that age where I have to start lying about my age, in fact. But this is an audio medium, so you can get away with... Uh... Ah, all right. Thank you so much. Um, <clears throat> very German, which you can hear at my accent. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, born as a son of uh, Dr. Rainer Erich Lotz, who made a huge name as a um, historian, researcher, author, journalist, collector, discograph of jazz and early music. Yeah, okay. And grew up in uh, uh, Thailand, uh, Uganda, and Germany then moved to Holland to study, and ended up here. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, I mean, it's probably obvious from what people just heard, but you're a flautist. I always like to say flautist. People don't know that that's the word, I think. Yes, um, it is. Uh, but uh, yeah, all kinds of flutes and stuff. Mm. Um, so yeah, we we should probably talk most of all about the, the new record that came out not so long ago with um, Alan Purves uh, called Food Foragers. Um, yeah, uh, do, you, do you want to tell me, I mean, I, I guess that working with Alan goes back a, a, quite a few years, right? Um, do you want to tell me a bit about that collaboration? Yes. So with Alan, I met Alan, um, I think around 2000, um, starting up the Global Village Orchestra, mm -hmm. which was an initiative of uh, Tietze Vogel, another bass player. Okay. Um, so, uh, ladies and gentlemen, let me mention, Pat Cleaver is a fantastic <laughs> bass player. Yeah. Well, I hmm. was fortunate enough to uh, join once and flabbergasted, uh, left me standing there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're not interviewing me, though, today. So. Okay. 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 
And um, there was this uh, fantastic Scottish crazy guy, uh, true sound architect. And I quickly invited him to my, into my own band, lots of music, recorded a couple of CDs. Um, then also I started up, you know, as a musician, you always look for different feet to stand up on. And I'm also organizer of concerts. Mm -hmm. So I had like uh, different concert series going on. And one of them was a music world series. Yeah. Also, again, initiated by uh, Chitze Fogel. Mm -hmm. And he, uh, in that, within that music series, I invited Kamil Erdem, a Turkish bass player. Yeah. And with him, you know, we had a great uh, collaboration with Alan, recorded the CD as well. Mm -hmm. So it goes back some time, yes. Yeah. And so what, um, to go from that to like the duo format, what was the, like what, no, I, I come from? I like the all let's say my latest four CDs are all like small ensembles. Yeah. So from solo to duo to trio, mm -hmm. um, sometimes quartet setting, and um, this particular and I did um, record with Alan duets during the years okay. on some of our lots of music albi. Yeah. And. Uh, This particular latest release, which for the first time really presents an album of us, us two, yeah. is like things always happen, was an accident or uh, not an accident, but <laughs> my father, he, um, he had his 80th birthday and said, Mark, I want to present my, my guest at the party uh, a CD okay. as a recollection of that day. And um, so would you mind uh, performing a concert and, uh, and present a CD? And I thought, of course. Mm. There I thought, you know, he w was thinking I was playing in duet with a great Brazilian um, guitar player, like a Grammy nominee winner. Okay. Um, and, but then I thought, you know, old, old guys, they all grew up with free jazz. Mm. No, no, I don't come with Daniel. I come with um, Alan yeah. in duet. And then, um, you know, he said, okay, you know, go into the studio, I pay. So mm. we went into the studio on my birthday. Wow. And we had a really bad day. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, it happens. Yeah. And then, then we thought, oh, shit, okay. Mm -hmm -hmm. Okay, that's an uh, accident again. Mm -hmm. We said, you know what? We take another day and um, we make tunes out of our improvisations. Yeah. And um, so that's what we did. Another day we did like, uh, we choose, you know, certain parts and um, made it tunes. And it's really nice to do now. Yeah, no, definitely. And it, it's interesting because, um, well, maybe to talk a bit about the repertoire mm -hmm. on, the, on the CD, um, everything is basically credited as composed by you and Alan. Yes. And then a few tunes also say traditional next to them. Was that like... Are those actual traditional songs and what traditions do they come uh, from? Um, the two songs which I learned from a great guitar player from Senegal, Abu, Abu Jigo. Okay. And he um, died, unfortunately, 13th of August, uh, April, oh. um, two years ago. And um, somehow when we got back uh, into the studio, oh no, maybe I even recorded the first day already. 
the the abu in the sky i think that was one of the free improvisations mm -hmm. you always say free improvisation and that was what that's what's happening yeah. but of course you know me alan we always use you know you have like a certain vocabulary in yeah. in you know in yourself which sometimes pops out and that was the first tune yeah yeah no i mean you talk about vocabulary it's interesting cuz like I don't know, maybe this is a bit too much of a poetic like thought, but like listening to the music, it really feels to me like there's no clearly defined like tradition that it's in somehow. And yet it feels like it, it kind of has like a folk music sound to it, but maybe mm -hmm. like folk music for like a made up country or, mm -hmm. or people somehow. Um, I wonder like what, can you pinpoint certain traditions that are coming out or is it like, because you've, I mean, you obviously have a lot of experience with the world music and all that mm -hmm. stuff. Like where, yeah, maybe. We... <laughs> yeah. Um, the thing is, um, now maybe start with myself. So I have a very broad background. Mm -hmm. So I consider myself as a jazz musician, but I also studied classical music. Yeah. But during all my career, I had a very keen eye on worldish stuff and was fortunate enough to perform with a lot of great world musicians. Yeah. But the two main streams there are Indian music and um, Afro-Cuban music or African music. Yeah. Um, Alan is a rock and roll drummer, yeah. in fact, and um, very s quickly um, invented his own instruments, mostly cons with a specific sound. And what he says is that he hears music and sound. So it doesn't matter what you do, if there's a certain noise, yeah. it's like, okay, ah, this is music. Yeah. So mm -hmm. to have, we, he don't need an instrument, so he would make, form something with that, something musical out of a sound. And um, I think what me and Alan have in common is we are quite fearless. Yeah. And broad-minded. Mm -hmm. And I, th I know for myself, I have a lot of fantasies, stupid to say, sorry, but um, that's, I think, my strong point. And for, with Alan, for sure, as well. So we um, both share this just childish or open, very open approach to sounds and music. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so, um, well, I'm interested in... in um in the like what does a live show look like now for you guys because um coming from freely improvising to figuring out hey maybe we should take some of what we improvise and make actual songs or structures or yes. compositions out of it yeah. um then how do you bring that to the stage and and do you bring that to the stage even? Yeah, yeah, okay <laughs> now we um funny enough alan and me we are facing a huge problem now <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> because we always did improvised free and mm -hmm. that's where we are, we are really good at and mix very well together. But now suddenly there are tunes. Mm -hmm. So we recorded a CD and there's actually, it's really tunes. And it is nice to recollect them. Yeah. And um, so that's why Alan and me... We are working on this to um, <laughs> somehow be able to reproduce the songs in a live situation, which is not always easy because in the studio, you know, there's one tune where I think we did like three overdubs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then 
Ah, you have to, if you want to have that sound, you have to go into technology and looping yeah. stuff, which is not easy and which is not our speciality. Mm -hmm. But um, apart from that, yes, we, 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 we recollect the tunes and we did already. We had a great concert in Eye Museum with a film oh, yeah. where we already used, you know, really material mm -hmm. we recorded. Cool. And so like, yeah, maybe to come back on that point that you just mm -hmm. made about the, the, um, the studio process, like indeed there is a bunch of electronics and stuff. Like has that always been a part of your... Like approach, I know that you've done a bunch of stuff with electronics, and the, the, that's now the electronics for me are new. I think I bought my first little thingy maybe <laughs> now two years ago. Okay, and just to have like a little bit reverb. Yeah, you know when I because I traveled a lot, mm -hmm. and then I had like a little microphone which is on my on my face. You know, then I and and this little thingy, and I get my power phantom and a little bit of reverb, mm. like this. I can plug in anywhere from Egypt to Turkey, from yeah. China to Alaska, Russia, yeah. and I always have like my own sound and my own mic, and I know it's it's good. Yeah. Um, then, like one year ago, I bought a little thing, a bigger thing. Sorry, mm -hmm. um, still, I mean, it's a normal multi-effect. You know, which every 18-year-old uses and masters. But <laughs> as I'm such an old guy, I always wonder why are the lights are popping up, why this machine never does what I want, <laughs> and why is it talking to me or don't talk to me anymore. Yeah. So it's a big adventure. Yeah, but that's also like the, one of the fun aspects of electronics, I think, is like it becomes an extra improviser <laughs> at some point, right? Like there's yes. a... like. <laughs> you do have to relinquish a certain amount of control to what's going to come out of all these boxes and stuff. Yes. Um, but so, like, you... Yeah, how do you... How did you make those decisions? Like, in the studio, like, there is a, obviously, like, a bunch of overdubs. Like, what were the... Like, was this pre-planned? I'm no. interested in, like, the... Funny thing is, no, it wasn't pre-planned. Uh, you know, with the improvisation... Um, during the studio, the free session... Um, I, I had like one normal microphone and one more microphone connected to the effect uh, box. And, you know, sometimes I just hit something which I would think would sound well now. Mm -hmm. In the mixing process, you know, you can balance a little bit or don't use it or yeah. only use it. Um, funny enough, with the overdubs, uh, there was a little bit, this in um, echoes of a lifetime hereafter. They are also used uh, effects, yeah. and I think the rest even not. Okay, but so none of the none of the stuff is done in the computer after the event. It was all like on the spot. Okay, now we're going to yeah. do a second pass, and no. cool. Um, yeah, this is a, maybe a slightly different um, topic, but um, as far as the like the world music stuff is concerned um there's something I've, i'm always interested in when it comes to people studying the music of other cultures and, and stuff like to to what extent is it important to you to like be completely immersed in the cultures that you're working within and then also like yeah i i wonder how important it is to stay authentic to that source material somehow um f for me um, looking also at myself, um, I made the decision. I, you know, it's a huge interest, a huge inspiration. I, um, when I make a crossover, I make sure that my 
collaborators who come from a certain tradition mm -hmm. um, can maintain their tradition somehow yeah. in the thing where they are strong at, because this is what interests me. Yeah. Um, for me, it makes no sense if I make, you know, I'm a jazz musician and I mark lots, mm -hmm. so I'm not an Indian flautist. No, sure. And I never will be. As well, I'm not African, so if I make a crossover with African music, it should be like my personal thing yeah. with yeah, it. Yeah. And um, so the authenticity, auth authenticism, I don't know. Authenticity. Authenticity yeah. <laughs> um, lies, uh, you know, in the authenticity of the collaborators, so they should really do what they do best. Mm -hmm. And in me, that I really st have still do my own thing and um, don't try to sound like African or Indian. Yeah, or of what. course. Yeah. But so when you, um, that is also something that I find interesting. Mm -hmm. Like when you're working with actual traditional musicians, mm -hmm. like how do you find a shared vocabulary with these folks? Like it's always, whether it's working with, yeah, like traditional musicians or whether it's even working with different mediums. Like I know you've done stuff with visuals yeah. and with dance yeah. and that kind of stuff. Like whenever you're working with somebody who doesn't necessarily have that like shared clear vocabulary of like we're jazz yeah. musicians, we don't even need to talk and we, you know, I mean, we hardly even met and we played together. Um, like how, what's the approach there somehow? I think common ground is always um, improvisation and confidence. Mm. So the, um, and if you have both, And it's easy, in fact. Um, to get a good result, though, that's not guaranteed. Mm -hmm. But I think that would be the common ground, yes. Yeah, okay. No, that makes sense. Because I guess, I mean, it comes from anyway dealing with like oral tradition and, and like the, the way people listen to each other and stuff. That You know, it's funny, with the, the crossovers I did... Um, Then I, uh, you know, I, maybe I, I did release three CDs with African-Cuban music mm -hmm. and then I really dug into the music. Yeah. Um, had like two important uh, people creating this crossover and that was the, the drummer from um, uh, Cuba, uh, Javier Campos Martinez, and the drummer from Holland, Stefan Krüger. Mm -hmm. And, you know, with both, I always could you know, talk or discuss, you know, which would be possible, which wouldn't be possible. And then always regarding, you know, how's the beat going? Could I superimpose this bass line or go into the, uh, a different measure? Would mm -hmm. it work? And um, yeah, so then there I had re like really a, a, a feedback, which was extremely helpful. That yeah. maybe was also my hippest stuff I ever released. Yeah, no, it certainly sounds great. I mean, I, I was listening to it earlier today, and mm. it's 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 quite rare to encounter something that that doesn't feel like. I mean, in these kinds of projects, there's so so often like there's half of the band is doing one thing, and the other half feels like it's doing something else. And and here, there's there's definitely like the meeting point in the middle really makes a lot of sense to me. Um, I think. Well, thank you. Um, yeah. How. Um, This is again maybe quite a vague question, but Love them. In, in terms of like taste, how did you get like how do you get exposed to that specifically, like say Afro-Cuban music or, or Indian music and stuff? And what what do you think it is about those those forms of music that spoke to you? And at what point did you because you studied class, like classical music and jazz and like what 
Excellent, again. <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> Stefan Kruger, the drummer of my um, Lots of Music quintet by then, um, he took some lessons with Javier Campos Martinez, mm -hmm. who was brought to Holland by Shine During for a couple of weeks. And uh, there he uh, practiced bata, and bata are three um, hourglass-shaped drums, yeah. and uh, which belong to the Santeria religion and their musical tradition, etc. Mm -hmm. And we were in the middle of recording a CD with my quintet, and then at a certain point, Stefan said, you know, it's crazy, this drummer is here. You know, we should do something with it. <laughs> and then I said, okay, cool. And then I just, you know, I just bought by then, you know, went into a shop and bought by hand some oh, yeah. CDs, you know, <laughs> listened to it, made really simple arrangements and had a day in the studio then, and that turned like really out well. And uh, we recorded by then, released a double CD uh, album. That led to an uh, invitation to the Percuba Festival in Havana. Mm -hmm. There, and also really by accident, I didn't plan it. But we, we, we were there, and at a certain moment, Shaheen, who was traveling with us, said, Mark, you know, we should record here. Mm. Let me arrange it. And, you know, can, you can say about Shaheen uh, many things, but he is a fantastic organizer. Yeah. And um, he really helped me there a lot and pulled this whole thing off. Like how to get two Dutch tapes by then, you know, it was like really recorded oh, yeah. on the tapes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In Havana, you know, within yeah. one day. Yeah. And only like $50 in your pocket. <laughs> <laughs> so, because tomorrow we have to eat the studio. Yeah. And that, oh, Shaheen really pulled out marvelously. So mm. we did get hold of two dot cassettes. Yeah, cool. And recorded again, you know, that led to the second city, et cetera, et cetera. It's interesting. It feels like there's almost, there's almost like an improvised nature to the direction that your career took in that case, right? Because it, it's whatever the happenstance is, like led to... Yes, of course. Um, you know, I've, 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 I did many, many uh, crossovers with uh, Turkey mm -hmm. and because uh, I had friends living there okay. in Istanbul. Yeah. And, you know, diplomats, rich, had children at the same age like mine, mm -hmm. you know, big house. So they said, no, no, come, come. We said, okay, yes, with pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, they, the, the nurse would, uh, the, the, sorry, the, 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 how do you say, the, the, the cook, the... the You know, someone would take care of the children. We would go out in Istanbul. And then, you know, the fifth time was something I thought, you know, crazy. I'm always here, but I never care about music. So then the next time, by then, uh, mm -hmm. yes, I went to a jazz club with my flute. Okay. And I just, there was a duet playing and with Bora Schilliker and uh, Under Fokan. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I just asked them, hey, you know, if you mind, you know, after the second set, you know, if you want to... So I can play a tune with you if you want to, you yeah. know. And then, of course, we ended up doing the whole concert. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, next year, you know, I got a, a two-day gig there at Nardis. And uh, funny enough, much later, I ended up having a duo with this same guitar player and singer. Yeah. And um, then at a certain moment, I, I just thought, because I was a little bit into this improvised music, I thought, you know, let's check if there's improvised music in in Turkey. Yeah. And then I got uh, into contact with two of the main figures uh, by then and, um, you know, ended re recording with both of them, making two great CDs. Mm. And yeah, it's also excellent. My friends wouldn't have lived there. Yeah. You know? This, I mean, I wonder if it's, um, if it's 
partly the nature of the instrument that you play it like the flute seems like it lends itself very well to like well first of all obviously it lends itself to just being in the in your back pocket and traveling to a gig and suddenly pulling it out in the middle of the thing um but also it seems like it's one of those instruments along alongside i mean you know the the record is percussion and flute well percussion it's a like not exactly. sounds yeah. it's a bit of a limited word to describe what alan does but mm. like those seem like the the like two recurring themes in in a lot of like traditional folk music yeah um do, do you feel like that that is something that that resonates with you the fact that like the flute is feels like something that's quite a universal um i suppose you've got the voice which is even more universal maybe but like it, it's a recurring theme right yes i mean you gave the answer so that's completely <laughs> true and the other thing is, um, it's not so, at least the concert flute is not so connected so much to a certain style of music. Mm-hmm. If you hear a saxophone, I mean, it's jazz. Yeah, probably. Immediately. But with the flute, you know, I can play with an Israeli oud player, with a Turkish oud player, mm. or a Moroccan oud player. Yeah. It will all sound great and will, won't <laughs> sound like too jazz and... And you know, I can play with a Mongolian throat singer. Yeah. And still, you know, somehow it, it it merges well, and I don't superimpose immediately a certain style or thing. Yeah. No, I, and I mean, speaking of specific flutes, um, as far as I understood, you you like formally studied the bansuri uh, a few years ago. Um, yes, I But I, I, to be honest, I think the lousiest student of any music <laughs> and especially Bansuri is just talking into this microphone. <laughs> <laughs> and um, it's a very bad decision as Bansuri and Indian music need, deserve and demand a lot of study. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I always feel like it's it's a common thing, right? Like it goes back to... Um, and you could probably even say it goes back to the Beatles and stuff, but like maybe mm. John McLaughlin is probably the main guy that came after that that really went into oh, trying sure. to deal with these traditions. And it very well, also. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, Shakti is is probably the one of the most successful um, yes, crossovers in that sense. Sure. Um, I wonder how, like, how how do you even approach something like that? I mean, I know I've I've taken a few lessons uh, in like the rhythmic mm. aspect of the tradition and stuff, but. When you're dealing with something that's supposed to be, you know, like a whole classical education from the age of, mm-hmm. like, you don't even remember when you started and, and all that stuff. Like, how much of that can you actually... I can't. You know, what, what, how it happened, and it really started when I was, I think, in the second year in my conservatory. I was living in Utrecht by then, you know, going to the music library, you know, mm-hmm. borrowing LPs, you know, by then. Yeah. And um, one of them was uh, an LP by Hari Prasad Chaurasia, the god. He's mm-hmm. like the, the it's an incarnation of Bach and John Coltrane, <laughs> Indian bamboo flautist. Yeah. And, you know, I ended up and there's never stopped always playing along with his records, uh, having no clue <laughs> what he's doing or yeah. what it is about and what the rhythm is. But... I, it, it just resonated. It spoke to me. Yeah. And then again by accident, you know, then I started living together with Praful, mm-hmm. a German um, saxophone player. And I gave him his first lessons uh, in, in flute, in fact. And now he's a really excellent flute player. Mm-hmm. 
then, you know, like really literally 10 years later, we ended up living again together. Yeah. And uh, he was playing Bansri by then. I said, hey, now please return the favor. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and then he became a guru for Bansri. Yeah. And I bought it the first Bansri's. Um, so again, yeah, if I wouldn't have met him, probably I wouldn't have have a Bansri or even start that thing. Yeah. No, that, yeah, cool. Um, yeah, and I mean, another theme of the music, and this is something that... Um, Whenever I get somebody on the show that um, I feel like this is applicable to, I like to address it because I find it quite interesting. Um, it seems to me like there's something quite surreal um, about your work. I mean, specifically the, the the stuff that you've done with Alan now. Um, there's a lot of humor in it and it, it seems like you guys don't take yourself excessively seriously. Um, is that... Is that a conscious decision? Is that something that's common in all your work? Like how, or am I, are you going to tell me, no, I'm very serious and what are you talking about? Uh, we are extremely serious. <laughs> Dangerous crowd, sir. <laughs> no, fair enough. No, I mean, of course we are very serious. And, um, but I like to laugh, Alan as well, and we have to celebrate life. Living in a very Calvinist country, mm -hmm. I think it's very important to laugh once in a while. And, um, you know, all the really great artists I've met, they are very humble, mostly. Mm -hmm. And say, you know, I play well, etc. and you like it. Okay, thank you so much. But still, I'm just starting. Mm -hmm. and, um, and that's with me and Alan, who are not great big artists. But so of course, the same. So, um, I mean, with... I mean, there's humor in it, and there should be, because life is love and death. Mm -hmm. No, fair enough. And it seems like that's something that is maybe like a common thread in, certainly in the Dutch like improv scene, that, um, that maybe is different. I mean, maybe, I don't know if you have mm -hmm. experience of like, say, the German improv scene or like... They always say it's like the witty, uh, like very witty, very humorous um, thing, and that I think is um, because of uh, Willem Brauker. Yeah. Uh, who yeah, made yeah. like, like Sucre's uh, kind of stuff. Um, or Han Benning who also has yeah. like a really visual thing. Um, but still they, but that's for me, like somehow improvisation is universal. And if I look at the, at the scene now, it, it's... It doesn't excel in humor, in humor per se. Um, at least for me, mm -hmm. something sometimes even the contrary. And I think often they take themselves even too serious. And uh, you know, in the free improv, funny enough, and maybe it's necessary. They um, because it's music which doesn't, which is. Um, They say it's like tabula rasa. You have music which is non-idiomatic, and mm -hmm. so there are no rules. Yeah. In fact, this is bullshit, of course. Yeah, I completely agree. <laughs> yes. And so there is, it's idiomatic music, and there are rules. Yeah. And, um, and the, but the rules are kind of vague. Mm -hmm. um, you cannot point out very clearly uh, what it is. So very often and they have like different groupings and they have all a very 
distinctive aesthetic. Mm -hmm. And this aesthetic, you could define as a rule. And with this, they are very, very keen. And um, yeah, as really straightforward and into this one scene and into this one, uh, it's like really one track minded spirits. Yeah. Which maybe it's really necessarily. I, this wouldn't work for me. I mean, I like to look right, left, down, up yeah. and kiss everyone I meet <laughs> there. Fair enough. Yeah. But so you would not like. Uh, you would not be able to identify what the rules are of your music, for example. Of my music, um, yes. I, I think you know, often I uh, people say that my range is extremely broad. Funny enough, I don't see it. Okay. Um, for me, it's all the same. So I'm. It's music. It's jazz. It's improvisation, and it's um, and it's clearly my taste mostly, uh, which means it's quite simple. I don't mm -hmm. like use of uh, huge long forms of very complex stuff. Um, mostly, I concentrate on one thing mm -hmm. and try to stay there a little. Yeah. And uh, the funny thing is, if I play a standard or improv, for me it's the same. <laughs> and fu and funny enough, Alan, if you would ask Alan, he yeah. would say you're exactly the same. So it's yeah. not it's music. Mm. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. And the f good thing is, you know, I've nowadays, you know, the, there's coming a fantastic new generation of musicians, and they have very much the same attitude. I, I sense somehow yeah. really open. And the thing is, there's a nice sentence of uh, Igor Stravinsky, mm -hmm. who said, "You cannot comprehend music without the moment of recognition." So mm -hmm. you have somehow have to have learned that certain style of music to be able to go along with it. Yeah. So to give an example, um, you know, Indian music for us is just like a drone and something very vague and it's all the same. The more you learn about Indian music, you, you yeah, have, yeah you're, the more you see, oh no, it's completely something different and you hear all the stuff. And uh, so you have to learn. And, um, and so in this moment of recognition in music, uh, People have this with jazz as well. For them, jazz sounds like free jazz. Yeah. And it's for me, not of course, but I listen every day to jazz. So yeah. I, I learn the music. Mm -hmm. But I also listen a lot to many other different kinds of music Alan does as well. And, you know, during a lifetime, you know, you just get to know all this kind of stuff. And you, you can place it and yeah. relate to it. But do you feel like that's still something that you that, that happens to you, that you'll be exposed to something that doesn't, Makes sense somehow. Like I, I feel like that experience is slowly getting lost to me. Certainly, is you know, I very rarely will discover music where I'm like, wow, I have no idea what's going on. I can kind of pinpoint, you know, I, yeah, I don't know. Maybe that's a bit of a shame somehow. And I, and I, I I'm interested in like how how that then comes across to an audience. Like what what has been your experience of performing? Um, to completely different audiences and, and how, how much value do you think there is in that recognition then? Like that people can somehow pinpoint something that they understand. Um, is that something that, that's important to you somehow? Or I never cared, which is stupid. You know, I once um, performed with the Chris Potter tentet. Yeah. And he, and you know, I, they, they, he sent the music and I studied it. 
And it was like really a nice um, lineup. And studying it and listening to it, I thought, oh, what a pity. Because Chris Potter really left some beautiful um, moments or possibilities out. Mm. And he really had like one sound, one thing yeah. going on. And, um, you know, later, I, you know, we, 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 we did the gig and et cetera. And later I realized, you know, that in fact, it's very smart. And he probably really does it with purpose. He says, you know, I'm a jazz musician. I have an audience. Mm -hmm. I deliver them what they can or what they want to hear. Yeah. So he stays really close to the line he's following. Yeah. And he could have done, you know, like much more chamber music alike. Yeah. But he didn't. And I think really deliberately. And I think he that's a smart thing. I yeah. mean, I couldn't do it, but I think that's also a strong point. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. To look for like specificity in what you do to the point of knowing what your target audience is and what their expectations yeah, so you, are. Yes, you know, he would if he would done other stuff, he would have known that like this, I lose people. Yeah, you know, and but he, he wants to stay with him. So it was very much jazz and was fantastic. It was totally Chris Potter. Yeah. So you could also say it was very authentic. Yeah, well, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah, uh, another thing I'd like to touch upon is um, because it, it, I'd like to know how that relates to everything else that we've just talked about. Mm -hmm. Is you, you have done a bunch of stuff in in the realm of like composed music and mm -hmm. um, even like writing for ensembles and 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 like what you might call classical, like contem contemporary classical music and stuff. Um, is how do you? bring the aesthetic that we've just been discussing and described into a medium that involves um, like notation and, and maybe you deal with different types of notation and things. And, um, um, this I don't follow now. No, I, I, I guess I, what I'm doing basically yeah. is just prompting you to talk a bit about your work as a composer um, and, and what Yeah, it, it feels like it's at the opposite end of the spectrum from what we're just talking yeah. about somehow. Um, funny enough, I consider myself as jazz musician and improviser. Um, the good thing is, and I'm a bad composer because my concentration is weak <laughs> and my musicality as well. Fortunate enough, I have enough fantasy <laughs> to think of, you know, those funny settings and enough baggage somehow to pull it off. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't have any urge to write music, which is very different to real composers yeah, who of have course. to write every day. Yeah. Um, but you know, like every jazz musician, we can compose. As that's really true. You yeah. for sure make the most beautiful music, which <laughs> I didn't hear yet. And um. <clears throat> So, but when I do, it's mostly like standard notation. Um, my own stuff, especially solo, yes, then you somehow, you know, you make, you draw a picture or just, uh, um, you know, I, I write down the, the, the fingerings and a certain yeah. sign. Mm -hmm. But I didn't use like alternative notations for other ensembles yet. Yeah. Okay. No, that's that's. I mean, uh, um, yeah. I just find that an interesting thing somehow mm -hmm. that there is that is part of your work, and and um, I wondered how that those two things 
um, consider it somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, you you just mentioned really in passing the the, the solo stuff. Um, yes. What what was the like what as as an improviser? Um, I know that a lot of what I feed off of is the people that I'm playing with, and um, I feel like maybe there's also a certain amount of like safety net there that like if I'm not particularly in the right place then somebody else will be and that might help me get there um how yeah how do you come to playing solo and what is your approach to being able to be in the right mind space for that an accident (laughs) (laughs) okay no but time was right also so the accident was um a Turkish guitar player Umut Shanglak Shanglak um he's uh, has a quite great uh, record company, mm-hmm. Reconstruct, Istanbul-based. And he, you know, after playing uh, with him, he said, you know, Mark, whenever you do a solo recording, I release it. <laughs> okay. said, okay. <laughs> yeah, that's an offer that doesn't come around all that yes, often. Yes, exactly. And then somehow, I think it was Albert van Feenendaal, he mentioned a little bit the same, said you should do it. And then I thought, you know what, I just... Because I have to be forced to do stuff. Yeah. I thought, okay, I try, and then I made application for a subsidy for a composition assignment. Okay. That was granted. Mm-hmm. Damn. <laughs> and now <laughs> so you have to do it. Then I had to do it. And then I thought, oh, you know, at home, it, it will never work out. So I took, uh, I, via via, I got hold of 10 days in a beautiful apartment in uh, Berlin. Okay. And I went there. Mm-hmm. You know, with my flutes, the night was parting. <laughs> At 12, I woke up and, <laughs> and started to, you know, play around and, and think of tunes. And yeah, after the 10 days, I had my tunes. Mm-hmm. And um, then, you know, recorded them in, in a nice, myself in a nice, beautiful spot. Yeah. Then I brought a laptop and copied illegal some software. Yeah. <laughs> Then, of course, everything went wrong and I lost all my takes and I had to do all, everything again. And I did everything wrong, you know, miking and stuff. Mm. And But you know, I had a magician called Misha de Kanter. He's mm-hmm. one of the sound guys working also for the BIM house, yeah. uh, for example. And he did a hell of a job, sounds nice. But funny enough, you know, then often you release a record. Now I, you know, I performed over the whole globe solo. Now would be the good timing to record the city. <laughs> okay. Because in fact, now I tend to play like 10 times better. Yeah. That's always the way, right? Yes. Like, and, you know, the tunes are reshaped, you know, yeah. some thrown away. But so what is the mind space that you have to be into to like, I mean, I assume stand on stage, play a whole set by yourself like it's not an experience that I've had particularly so I'm, I'm interested in like what does that differ at all from like yes it's uh, it's king discipline it's really frightening mm-hmm. especially with the flute um, though I have to I have to admit that flute is not as bad as a solo instrument but I mean I have no harmony mm-hmm. I play one note yeah that's <laughs> of it. course so what you, I really think about um, different sounds. And so that's also a common thing I have with Alan. So I like bebop, I, you know, I like chromatism, I like harmony. But at the same time, and that's, I think, due to the, my classical training and study, 
you know, I, I always like to find sounds and mm. that's with the solo stuff. I really get into, um, the sound research. And, uh, then again, I just build very simple tunes around one certain sound I've found yeah. and then stay with it, try to make a tune. And then, uh, uh, also, you know, for one solo recital, you know, if you only would do it on one flute, it's possible. But I, you know, I have many flutes, so with yeah, this yeah. I can also offer, you know, a different palette. Mm -hmm. uh, and now I have this machine, so I also use like uh, now electronics. It's not really, but effects, yeah. which also really help. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, you know, then you just explore, yeah. expand. Yeah, I'm, I'm interested in what you say about like the and and indeed how that relates also to the way Alan works. Like the idea mm -hmm. that Dambre has become such an integral part of what you guys do, and also has become such an integral part of like the um, the tools that are at our disposal. Um, that that seems like it's um, it's kind of at the other end of the spectrum from the jazz idea of yeah. you have to find your sound and you have to be like this is my sound as though it's just one thing um is that is that something that's always been a part of your your vision or is like um the fine thing this is my sound so i uh i think i have my own sound and um all the extended techniques make part of it mm -hmm. but um I, there's no contradiction in it uh And I think, yes, at, at least for me, you know, for, for a percussion player, it might be different. But I think also with him, you would, you could say, oh, no, it's really Alan playing the brim rum yeah. and not someone else. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, that does make sense. Um, it's just interesting how that definition of like a sound has mm -hmm. evolved somehow. Yeah, um, yeah maybe um, another different topic because there's so many things to talk about with you um you also have done a bunch of stuff in the realm of like organizing concerts yes. and mm -hmm. um various like series and and, and festivals and stuff mm -hmm. um like is that something that also came naturally i mean i feel like it's something that's kind of necessary nowadays in in the world that we work in um but how yeah the yeah, funny thing is it is necessary mm -hmm. that we musicians now take over that yeah. for sure i mean we have the um once i spoke to Günther hampel a famous german american vibraphone player and flutist and bass clarinet player yeah. and um you know he said by then you know in the 60s we never cared about the audience mm -hmm. and now you know it's the time you know it was really wrong and in fact we have to go to the schools We have to take over television and radio, you know, because you don't hear any jazz anymore. Yeah. It's all, the, you know, the same music. And if you don't hear the music, how, how can we reach people? Yeah. And, and that's really a problem. And then, yes, now, the, especially in Holland with this financial crisis, it really hits hard. And then the, the, the whole scene, you know, the whole infrastructure of little stuff really disappeared. Mm -hmm. Some big things still are there, but I mean, they have, they only care about, or they have to care about selling tickets enough to, to survive. Mm 
and um, which gets a really uh, like a stupid um, programmation sometimes, and um, not stupid, but but not uh, a reflection of what's really actually happening, you know, yeah, in yeah, this yeah. country. And um, so yes, if we like for me in, in my own little town where I live, when there's no jazz club, there's nothing, mm-hmm. and. And I, at a certain moment, I thought, you know, I just, I just organize something, and then yeah. do it easy, cheap, you know, doing a living room uh, thing, yeah. and that's doable, yeah, yeah, and it's great, and you know, people come around, and it's the neighbors, yeah. and friends, and girlfriends, and boyfriends, and and then they hear for the first time jazz, mm-hmm. uh, and they like it, of course, yeah, I mean, fantastic, yeah. That's also like quite an advantage, I feel, of performing in a setting that is like not the typical setting you also mm-hmm. reach a different kind of person but you also create a different kind of expectation right like people don't come people come to the bim house with a certain idea of what's going to happen and then if you don't fulfill that idea i guess it comes back to the chris potter thing we were discussing like if you don't do what they expect to see in the bim house course, then you're gonna have a problem but it has its own audience also uh-huh, yeah, BIM. yeah so yeah. That it won't draw like really new audience but if you go to places where where there are completely different people mm-hmm. like I had once a concert series uh, with free improvised music um, which I did together with a German bass player called Meinrad Kneer mm-hmm. and that was in Utrecht called You Experimental okay. and at a certain moment you know that was also you know one of the huge um, horrible things which happened is that this Stichting Jazz in Utrecht disappeared because yeah. it was kind of a what it was a what it was a Sort of a coup, what happened there. Mm-hmm. Um, but by then, uh, Marcel said, you know, make the thing in the uh, museum yeah. in, in Holland, uh, sorry, in Utrecht. Mm-hmm. And that was also quite nice because yeah. there you really reach different people who don't expect music and who, you know, mostly if I, if I talk to my children mm-hmm. and I say music, they think of a singer or a singer. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. that music could be instrumental. What? <laughs> you know? Uh-huh. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so um, yeah, it's really important we, 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 we take over. We have to take over. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that's also part of what this, like for me, the initiative of doing this podcast is so somewhat like reclaiming the idea of like music journalism as something that yeah. is... Um, that feels like it's somewhat past its glory days and, yes. that, you know, we're, we're, we've lost a lot of that actual... Like, um, but anyway, um, yeah, is there any other stuff that you want to mention? Any other things you've been up to or things we can expect? Um, I've, unfortunately, I don't perform so much in Holland. It doesn't matter. There'll be people listening wherever. Yeah, no, of uh, course. (laughs) So, but there's a nice new thing coming up in Portugal. Mm-hmm. Um, as I travel a lot, you know, you meet people and somehow, you know, the musicians bring me there and there. And now um, one of them brings me back to Portugal. That's Nelson Cascais, yeah. a great composer also. Mm-hmm. And he um, initiated a project with Danish musicians and a Portuguese guy. And um, we have a little tour in Portugal, which is um, great. And I'm looking forward yeah. to it. Cool. Yeah. Well, I mean, there'll be links to all websites and all kind of stuff yes, in the, in the show. To, so, um, yeah. if you want to find it, there'll be stuff there. Um, finally, um, yeah, I, I always like to ask my guests if there is something they would like to uh, recommend. It can be anything. Uh, I, I always say, 
I think people are probably getting sick of hearing me say it can be a movie, a book, or whatever exhibition, whatever you. But um, yeah, I don't know if there's something that you feel like the listeners should go and. Um, yeah. <laughs> yes, uh, you want me, so I'm prepared. <laughs> um, the Stedelijk Museum in Amsterdam has like new great exhibition going on now, and that's from a Dutch uh, duo called Studio Drift. Okay, and they have a great exhibition which goes on, I think, till twenty fourth of August in the museum in Amsterdam. Okay, and um, that's um, quite remarkable. Really nice experience if you go there. Okay, cool. Well, for yeah, for all those Amsterdam folks, um, there's and a recommendation abroad. for you. And abroad, if you happen yes. to be coming to Amsterdam. Yes, of course. Um, cool. Uh, Mark, thanks so much for uh, doing this, for coming on the show. Thank you so much, Pat, for inviting me. Yeah, cool. Once again, Mark Alban Lotz's new record is called Food Foragers. There will be links to his website in the show notes at soundofthemoment.com if you would like to purchase said album or anything else from his extensive discography. I would like to thank my fellow members of K-Show for providing the intro and outro music playing beneath me right now. The show has a Patreon page open for donations as of a few weeks ago. So if you enjoy what I am doing here and if you'd like to send a couple of bucks my way every month or even just one time, you can find that at patreon.com slash sound of the moment. And of course, there's a link at soundofthemoment.com uh, if you can't be bothered with that URL. I'll be... Really grateful if you would consider supporting the show. Uh, That will hopefully help me to improve quality and keep releasing it for the foreseeable future. If you want to reach me for whatever reason, whether it's for feedback or questions, comments, etc., I am at Pat Cleaver on Twitter and Sound of the Moment has a page on Facebook. You can also email me directly at pat at soundofthemoment.com. Please add the show to an RSS reader or subscribe to it in iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, whatever you like to use for your podcast listening. And if you happen to know anybody who will be interested in listening to this kind of show, do let them know about it. Word of mouth remains one of the best ways for me to grow my audience. To end this episode, I will play you more music from Mark Alban Lotz. This is from an older record that came out in 2008 called A Fuller's Call, and the tune is entitled Gure. Thank you so much for listening. I will be back in two weeks with another episode of Sound of the Moment. <laughs>